Uh, book of Jude. We are in the book of Jude, verse number 13. Part B today. Really, I, I see our time and I see my notes and I say, hmm. Uh, so, let's see what happens. Uh, Jude, verse 13. Part B, but I, I'm going to back up a little bit because it just doesn't start right there. Uh, it starts in verse 12 in this statement Jude makes. These are the men who are hidden reeves in your love feast. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. That last phrase I just read ought to just kind of make you gasp a little bit. Just think about that, especially the last word, forever. That's an alarming statement. Heavenly Father, help us today as we pick up your word right here and look at another part of it. And I pray, Lord, that you engage our our thoughts in this way, that we see the love that is from our Savior to his church and what he does to protect it. And as members of the church, may we appreciate that today. And may we have our senses uh, well-trained to watch for dangers. Guide us in this passage, we pray, as we commit our time to it, and commit our hearts and our minds to you, and ask you to teach us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, this is an interesting thing. We're going to talk about wandering stars today. Wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. A little unusual to start a message with a passage out of Proverbs that sounds kind of interesting. It's a passage on the jealousy of a husband. And it starts in Proverbs 6, verse 32, and it goes about three or four verses here. And it says, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who, would, he who would destroys himself. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept her any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give him many gifts. When I read that little passage there on my... Uh, Laptop, the Bible study program, I see it there, and on the, the right side it has commentaries, and I always have it set for the Bible knowledge commentary, because I just like to go back and forth and, and look at words and things of that as I study through. And I found it very interesting, the comment that followed this passage was this, adultery is a form of suicide. That's a, ooh, Especially in light of the way this is described, because the husband will not be satisfied, even in his wrath. Now you say, well, what's that got to do with what we're looking at today? 
Well, there's a very beautiful picture in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 5. It starts in verse 22 about the love of our Savior for his church. It's a picture of a groom and a bride. And you know the passage well. And I'm going to read it to you here. If you wanted to follow along, it's in Ephesians 5, verse 22, and it goes through verse 32. But I want you to notice some things with me. In this, we usually will use this little section as a seminar on how wives and how husbands are supposed to behave toward one another and ministry to one another. But ultimately, Paul says, the whole reason he wrote this was he's speaking of Christ and the church. And we're just supposed to reflect that in our relationship as husbands and wives. So put the husband and wife side a little bit further back and put forward the picture of Christ and his church. All right? And listen to it this way. Verse 22 says, Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husband in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Obviously, you see, he loves his church, doesn't he? As dearly as that picture is, he loves his church, and he gave his life for his church. And that's the whole heart that you see in the passage here. We've been studying in Jude false teachers. We're also doing that in Sunday night in Second Peter. It seems like we're getting a pretty big dose of it. And yet there's a good reason for this. I've thought much about the dangers that false teachers bring to the church. And folks, we're living in that day. Everything you read of here, they speak as if it's coming. And yet this is now. And that's why I'm very concerned about this. Because a false teacher is very crafty. They are able to disguise things. It looks genuine. It looks genuine, and that's why we embrace it so easily, when all the while it is false. And that's why we use the word false in front of their name, teacher. I especially thought about this in this last week, this question. What does Christ think about the false teacher? You ever ask that question? I mean, we read it in Scripture and we say, well, that's what Jude says, that's what Peter says. But this is God's word. What does God think about the false teacher? And I thought about that in reference to the church as the bride of Christ. The false teacher is one who acts like an adulterer. And the anger that it must bring to Christ 
to have his church, his bride, messed with in this way. Think about it for a little bit. That's his church. He died for that church. That's his bride. And his punishment. Boy, he takes these people very seriously. Because his punishment for them is exceedingly great. The end of that verse, you saw it. He has reserved the black darkness for them forever. That's stunning to me. He doesn't take this lightly, does he? He does not take this lightly. We're going to get a little glimpse of that today. As we look at the last of the pictures in verse 13, there are several pictures here, but the last picture had to do with wandering stars. Wandering stars. Now, I've always had a challenge with working with consolations. People, you know, in school would teach me about consolations and all that, and I'd go out there and I'd just look. I have no idea what I'm looking for. They say, look, there's Orion's belt or something like that, and I can't find it. I, I can't see, but then I've had bad eyesight my whole life. I can see a Big Dipper. I think it's the Big Dipper. But I just look up there and they say, look, look at that, look at that, look at that. And I, I can't see those things. They just don't make sense to me. Plus, there's a lot of them up there. And some of you are really good at that. Roy, would, he's great with that. He's always telling me, oh, you should see the moon tonight and all these other things. And he's always keeping me informed about when Jupiter is crossing over and everything else. You could go out and look and I just see a bunch of little blurry dots up there. And I said, hmm, that's pretty neat. Someday I'm going to see them. I remember when I had the opportunity to go to Brazil quite a few years ago, that one thing I've always wanted to see was the Southern Cross. It, you could only see it in the Southern Hemisphere. And so I looked it up and I found, yeah, you can see it from Brazil. Uh, I said, okay, I can't wait to do that. Got down there a couple of nights in, I I thought, well, here's a great chance. I'm going to go outside and look for the Southern Cross. I'd never seen so many stars in all my life. The whole sky was lit up. It's like, how do you tell one from another? You couldn't see patterns or shapes or anything. It was just like, wham! It was just stars everywhere. And they said it's on the horizon. And I'm just looking all of them with my eyes out. What could I see? I didn't see the Southern Cross because it's probably there, but I couldn't see it. Someday I want to go see that in closer view. Maybe I will someday. But I thought, wow, the billions and billions and billions of stars that are out there. There's some amazing things that Scripture tells us about stars. But when Jude is describing false teachers, what an interesting term to use. Wandering stars. Let's look at it a little bit closer here today. Because false teachers are those, as he said in verse number 4, have crept in unnoticed. That's sneaky. All right? They've crept in unnoticed. And they influence a lot of people. It does say in Peter they have many followers. Many follow after them. And so that's kind of frightening to me. And the key point of what they're about is that they are here to destroy the church. They're not here to make us more like Christ. They're not here to edify the believer. They're here to destroy. They're here to lead astray. They're here to, to mar the beautiful things that we have. And they snuck in to do it. And it's kind of frightening to read about all these things. 
Jude describes them using nature terms. Things that should be beautiful. Oceans, fruit trees, beautiful scenes of lovely skies and, and clouds and, and trees and ocean waves and stars and all these things are supposed to be pretty things for us. But every single one of them are marred in his picture. Dead fruit trees. Wild waves in the ocean casting foam up on the shores. Uh, we read of all these clouds without water and, and hidden reefs in our ocean. None of those benefit the church. Not one of those pictures benefit this church. All they do is destroy, destroy, destroy. And wandering stars are not any better. They're not any better. When you start to define these words, I find it interesting how quickly some of the commentators go this way. Because when they look up wandering stars, they see the word planetes, P-L-A-N-E-T-E-S. And they say, ooh, planets. That's what it must be all about. We're talking about planets. Uh, and so they start talking about the planets in their commentaries and things of that nature. And when I was in school, I, I loved studying the planets. I could read them in the books and see the pretty pictures of all those nine planets. Somebody's trying to tell us one of them doesn't count, right? And they're trying to take Pluto away, away from me, and they're not going to get it. Right? I, I'm going to keep Pluto in my list of nine. But, you know, I've always liked Neptune the best. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it's blue, and I like blue. But... Um, Neptune is a great study to study that planet. And I found out that if I was living on Neptune, my age right now would be about four months old. Not bad, huh? You want to move? They're, they're, it takes so long to get around their planet. It's just fascinating, fascinating to try to fathom the distance between here and there. They use numbers, and those numbers just boggle my mind as the distance between these planets. And yet, when we study all those things, and maybe you set up one of those planet mobiles, and you watch them circle around the sun, you ever wonder at the majesty of it all? How God has, has done this? I mean, it's a miracle of creation and order. When you study these, I, I can't help but stand in awe when I think of how big this universe is and that God made all this and somehow he's paying attention to me. Blows my mind. But I believe God created the laws that scientists keep on discovering and testing. I believe that the, wor that the world they study is evidence that God does exist and that he is the God of order. Heaven declares the glory of God. And the earth shows his handiwork. And it says in Romans chapter 1, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood at what has been made, that they are without any excuse. And yet there's foolish men among us. There's foolish men. In Romans 1 it says, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image 
in the form of corruptible man, a bird, four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. You say, okay, that sounds great. We're talking about planets and God created them. Actually, the word planetes is not about a planet. It's the adverb for wandering. It means roving. It's not about planets. Jude's not talking about a planet. He's talking about a star with a problem. It roams. It wanders. That's what planetes means. It's the adjective for roaming or the adverb for wandering. It comes from the word for roving like a tramp. It means by implication an imposter, a misleader, a deceiver. And here's another word, a seducer. At its very least, it's erratic. At its most, it's seductive. That's not a pretty picture. But that's the word he put in front of the word star to describe something that God has created in the, in the heavens. Matter of fact, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and it says, God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night, and he made the stars also. And it says in Genesis 15, he made a lot of them. For there he's talking to Abraham, and he says, go and look outside. Obviously, he had good eyesight, because God says, count them. Count them. Now look to the heavens and count the stars. If you are able to count them, so shall your descendants be. The stars have been out there since God created this world. For man to stand there and stand in awe and wonder at what beautiful things God has done, what power he has, what order he's given to it. And yet by the time we get to the book of Deuteronomy, man was already abusing it. They were abusing it. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 19, Beware, do not lift up your eyes to the heaven and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them. Do you realize that the concept of the horoscope today is based on the stars? We are warned in Scripture about these things because stars... Do not control your day. God does. God does. God knows all those stars. It says, He not only knows them in Psalm 147 verse 4, He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Imagine that. That's so cool. In Isaiah 40 verse 26, Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. Notice he's saying, don't look at the stars, look at the one who made them. He's the one who leads them forth. They're hosts by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. There are so many other things we can observe. I just find it fascinating that he leads them forth. He calls them by name. It's the same uh, statement as what a shepherd does to a sheep. I think that's kind of cool. Who's in charge of the stars? God is. Who keeps them in their order? God does. Notice a false teacher will misrepresent all that. They're wandering stars. Erratic stars. They're contrary to nature. 
All right? Contrary to nature. You know, God even employed a star at the birth of Christ, didn't he? Remember the wise men? To search out where Christ was, where the king was. They looked up, they saw a star, they rejoiced exceedingly. I just love that passage. Sounds like we should start a Christmas series right now. But I think about that passage, and and quite a bit of that passage, we don't know, to be honest. How do they know to follow a star? There's some ideas, but how do they how do they really know? How do they know it would lead them to the king of Israel, a baby who was just born? How do they know that? Those are big questions we ask ourselves every time we come around to it. But I'm okay with the mystery of it too. I'm okay knowing that you know there's parts I don't understand, but I love to sing "We Three Kings of Orient Are." You know, I just think about those things, and I think of Jude. Jude was what we call a half-brother of Jesus. Now, that's because Jesus had a mother, Mary, but Joseph was not his father. We know that was miraculous. The virgin birth is a miraculous thing. But Joseph and Mary did get married, and they did have children, and Jude was one of them. So he grew up in the same home that Jesus was in. You ever wonder if they talked about wise men and stars at the dinner table? You ever wonder about that? I, I'm just curious. What did they talk about at the table? That would have been so fascinating to go over that over again and again and again. But here's Jude. He's writing about false teachers. And guess what he has to bring up? A wandering star. A wandering star. You know, if the wise men followed that, they'd still be out there looking for him. Because a wandering star doesn't lead you to where it needs to. It leads you away. It wanders. That's the whole nature of wandering here. It's not going in the direction it ought to. And this is terrible. Really, in nature, it's terrible. It's contrary to nature. It's contrary to order. It's contrary to God's design. A wandering star is out of orbit. It's erratic. It's just going any direction it it wants. We speak of an erratic teacher. A one who is is wandering like a tramp, who's an imposter, or misleader, or deceiver, or seducer. You say, well, how does this work, Pastor? Let me make it simple. You ready? Consider the value of a star to a mariner. What's that? Well, that's somebody who's a sailor. And he navigates by night. And he uses the stars to set his course. It helps him to get to the right harbor, to get to the right place that he is intending to go. What good would it be for this man to set all of his instruments and then set his course to a star that keeps moving? They thought they were heading for Hong Kong, and they end up somewhere in South America instead. Because that star would lead them in the wrong direction. That would be frightful to a mariner, because he's counting on the stars for his course. He's counting on them to be where they're supposed to be, in that sense of order. And if it's not there, they're in danger of even shipwreck, because they've been led astray. By a wandering star. And I see that picture and I say, ooh, would you like a false teacher like that among you? 
He looks good. He looks like a star. He offers everything the star is supposed to offer. Oh, I'll lead you where you need to go. Just trust me. I understand this. Trust me. Guide it according to my direction. Follow my steps. And yet he wanders. And he wanders. And little steps at a time. I can't measure the distance of how far a star can move when I look up in the sky. But it doesn't take much to get you on the wrong course. You know, in any case, you're off by this much where it starts. And by the time you get to the end result, you're off miles. Because that's the trajectory that this always goes down. It goes wrong. It goes wrong. And this is what this picture is. And I'm looking at it saying, what a false teacher can do. Creating a situation that will leave you a wreck. In your thinking, maybe in your behavior. And here's what's worse about it all. You ready? They do it on purpose. That's the false teacher. They do it on purpose. They deceive you on purpose. They seduce you on purpose to have you follow their way. And their whole intent is to destroy. That's frightful. You know, we live in a day and age where everybody needs to find protection for their computers. You can't go on there with somebody out there somewhere in the dark. I don't know who they are or what they do, but they're looking for your information, right? And the damage they could do if they could get a hold of some pertinent information and do things with your accounts and, and change things in your, in your name and all the... I hear about it and, boy, it kind of scares me quite a bit to read about these things. And you say, boy, I've got to get a protective to like Norton or something. and I think I'm just going to get them all. Just line them all up across there. My computer won't work, but at least every well protected with all these programs running. How do you protect yourself against a wandering star? It's telling you, hang on to me. I'll guide you. I'll, I'll take you where you need to go. It's, an, it's how the Cambridge Bible translates it. It's an irregular appearance. It starts and then it vanishes into darkness. It's got a, a fame about it and an influence about it. And Jude is writing about these things. Some people say that false teachers are kind of like the blind leading the blind. And I've thought about that. We, we think about the blind leading the blind and think that through for a minute because I'm not sure Jude is describing this scene like that because these people are, are doing it on purpose. Blind leaders have the same problem as blind followers. They neither one know where they're going. But Jude implies in this passage a false teacher knows what he's doing. Something more sinister is going on here. He has crept in on purpose. And he's acting like a star and he's leading people astray intentionally. They portray themselves as something important and something necessary. And they're like stars. They're beautiful. They're mysterious. They, they shine and they fascinate us. And the problem is that they promise that if you follow them, they will bring your destination to something you would like. The world tells you that in a lot of different ways too. Because the broad way is very attractive. But where does it lead? To destruction. To destruction. 
That's the only road it is. It goes to destruction. These guys are encouraging you to follow them down that road. So they are. They say they're steady. They say they're trustworthy. They say you can navigate by them. But they wander. That's a picture. They wander. They look as bright as stars. They're, they're fixed, or so they seem. And one commentator, he said, if any shipmaster would be stupid enough to follow one, he would be led astray. How do we fall for this? Because we live in a day and age where people follow who's the loudest, who's the most attractive, who's got more program concepts or bigger degrees, or, or there's all kinds of things that we look at a man or a woman or such, and we say, I'll follow that person because they look successful. Without even examining the message, we look at the outward appearance of a man first, don't we? Isn't there warnings about that in Scripture? Who looks at the heart? God does. Man looks at the outward appearance. We get caught up in this so quickly. And that's what my concern is as a pastor. That these leaders, in this sense, they're, they're useless to us. Do you see it? That's a useless thing to follow. We had the illustration of a hidden wreath at the start of verse 12. We have the illustration at the end of verse 13 as a wandering star. Both of those are ruining those who listen to them. They are in danger below by reefs and in danger above by stars. They're ruined in their character and they're ruined in their guidance. Wilmington's Guide to the Bible puts it this way in five pictures, these five here. Hidden rocks are unseen dangers of apostasy. Waterless clouds are the false promises of apostasy. Autumn trees are the barren profession of apostasy. Wild waves is a wasted effort of apostasy. And the wandering star is the aimless purpose of apostasy. I thought, what a nice picture to put that down if you want to look at it that way. Obviously, there's nothing but danger in these verses. Nothing but danger, folks. What's my problem with them? Pastor's been pounding them for months. Why? Because they have followers. And some of those followers are very dear to me. They have heard false teachers and believed it and have stepped in their trail. And it hurts my heart to have people I love caught up with the deception of a false teacher. People who are tossed here and there by the various winds of doctrine. I'm alarmed, especially when it's one that I call a brother or sister in Christ. And they engage in this deception and they become wrapped up in it. That bothers me. It should bother all of us, shouldn't it? Jude has a message, and I'm going to just summarize it in just a handful of words. Here it goes. Verse number 4. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness or into sin. And deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8. These, say, these same men in the same way also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Verse 10, 
And they revile the things they do not understand and the things that, did, that they know by instinct, like unreasonable animals. These things, by these things they are destroyed. In verse 12, these are the men who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried around by the winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Verse 16, they are grumblers and they're fault finders and they're following after their own lust and they speak arrogantly and they flatter people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Verse 19, they are ones who cause division, worldly minded, devoid of the spirit. You want them here? No, not after it looks like that. Said, so, no, Lord, keep them far away. Don't bring them anywhere near. Unfortunately, and I say tragically even, they have followers. That's the nature of what they do. Their followers are made up of all kinds. But it's alarming when it includes our immature brothers and sisters in Christ. It's alarming to me. When they have not learned to grow up in their faith and the knowledge of God's Word, and they've been swept away with the rest, and they have no maturity or stability under their feet. And before we start to think it's only for them, Peter warns us at the end of Second Peter, chapter 3, verse 17 and 18, he says, You therefore, beloved, he's talking to the church, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. He's not saying fall from your salvation. He says your firm standing. They will sweep your feet right up from under you. But instead, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do, right? Grow. Grow in our knowledge of Him. Grow in the grace He gives to us. Be ready for this, folks. Be ready for this. Because if we are strong in God's grace and in the knowledge of Christ like we ought to be, if we're maturing as we're called to be, you can help those who are caught up following a wandering star. You can help them. And that's what Jude says to do in verse 22. He says, have mercy on some who are doubting. And in verse 23, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hitting even the garments polluted by the flesh. It's not too late to reach for them. It's not too late to call them and say, you're in the wrong path, get back here. To grasp them. I almost see it as a violent thing, almost. Grab them, pull them. I mean, wouldn't you do that if your child was about to fall into a pit of fire? You've got brothers and sisters who are being deceived by these stars, by these waves, by these fruit trees. This picture is horrendous and it's scary to me. But I make my appeal to you and me. Really, I look at myself too. Just as a pastor ought to do. We need to grow. We need to grow in the truth. And in the knowledge of Christ and in the grace He's given to us, we need to stay close to our shepherd. We need to be like Christ. We need this, and it's desperate. You could probably sense I'm saying it that way. 
We need to be strong in the Lord because we live in an evil day. Do you know that? Is the world getting better? No, it's not. I'm sorry to say it, folks. It's not getting better. False teachers are stars that lead people astray. There's a lot of them out there. I could tell you simply this. We need to trust the Lord more and more and more each and every day. We need to. Remember, folks, the theme of our year, He is able. When you say, I can't stand up to this, I don't even know how to look for this, this scares me. Pull close to your shepherd. He is able. He is able to keep you standing, right? And He is able, in the end, and this is beautiful, to present you before His glory, blameless with great joy. I love the end result because His bride is going to stand before Him as beautiful as can be. And He knows the danger of the false teacher. And He says, yeah, I'm going to get her through because I'm able. I love that. I just rejoice when I read those things and I say, yes, that's what He's going to do. It's our duty to trust Him because He's trustworthy. It's our duty to compare our teachers to Christ and see if they're telling us the truth. You need to know this book and open it up when somebody's talking and say, is that true? Is that true? Is that true? That's your job. Do you know that? Or else you're following a wandering star and you don't even know it. You're called to to be this way. And I wish all our teachers were trustworthy. I'm not pointing out somebody in our church. I said, nationwide, worldwide, I wish they were all trustworthy. I wish they were all talking about Jesus without hesitation, with full conviction that Jesus is who we need. And yet there's a lot who won't. There's a lot out there who won't do that. Is it any wonder that he's reserved a special place for them in eternity? Those who want to be stars to be followed, he's going to assign them to a place where it's complete darkness. Was it, what a picture. Complete darkness. I can't even fathom what that is like. I can't stand it when the night light stops working. I've got to go put in a new bulb. It drives, I don't like pitch black. And I just can't imagine forever in pitch blackness but how fitting it is for somebody who was a wandering star. The Lord is serious about it. We're just halfway through the book of Jude. Do you know that? It's like, woo! It's like the pages are warm today, but that's what we're working through. And my appeal just keeps coming back over and over and over again. Draw close to your Lord. He is able. He is able. We need that more and more and more. Please, as your as a pastor here is talking to you, I'm begging you to draw close to Christ. That's our defense. That's our defense. And if we don't do that, we're in trouble. But I don't want to leave it on that word. I want to speak of the fact that He is able. <laughs> and that's what gives me the greatest joy. I'm not giving you something that's just going to fail in another week. Like a cheap toy from Dollar General. I'm not offering you something that's going to wear out and be replaced. I'm not giving you something that has no background, no history, no evidence that it really works well. 
or that you're going to take a shot in the dark and hope that it comes out okay. I'm talking about the Lord who is faithful and always faithful. And his word is a testimony of that faithfulness. And that sign right there says he's great at it. Because great is thy faithfulness. Do you trust him? We need that, don't we? More and more and more. We have a word of prayer and then we got a fantastic finish for our service today. Right? I think so. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. What a great God you are. That you should love us so much to tell us about these things so that we won't fall for them. And then to show us again your work and how it's going to all turn out. And we'll stand before your presence someday with great joy. And I long for that day. Until then, Lord, we're called to be faithful. And we're to trust you who is faithful. And I think as we draw closer to you, we will know that confidence, that assurance, and what it is to live godly in an ungodly day. So I pray, Lord, you draw all of our hearts to you today, more than it's ever been before, that we may walk with our God and admire and adore and worship who he is and know that we're safe right beside him. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.